Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. It's good to be here this morning. Let's open it in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we love you and we praise you because you are the giver of all good things. Lord, thank you for your scars. As that song depicts, Lord, uh, it symbolizes our forgiveness and what you've done for us. Uh, Lord, just open our hearts and minds to your word this morning, and uh, thank you for this time to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I get the pleasure of diving right back into our series in 1 John, Testing Our Assurance. The book of 1 John was written to churches that were believers, and these are ways that you can look to test the assurance of your salvation. So let's dive right in to see what God has for us this morning. On December 7th, 1988, an earthquake devastated the northwestern section of Armenia. It's a small country west of Turkey in the Middle East, killing an estimated of 25,000 people. In one small town, just after the earthquake, a father rushed into his son's school only to find that the school had been completely flattened. There was no sign of life. There was no hope for survivors. But he had not thought of turning back, and he often told his son, no matter what, I'll always be there for you when you need me. Though his prospects appeared hopeless, the father began fervently removing rubble from where he believed his son's classroom had been. Other parents only wailed hopelessly, my son, my daughter. Some even told the father just to go home. There was no chance that any of the children could be alive. Yet he replied, I made my son a promise that I'd be there for him anytime he needed me. I must continue to dig. Courageously, he worked alone. No one even volunteered to help him. He simply had to know for himself, is my boy alive or is he dead? Finding the strength and endurance beyond himself, the faithful, loving father continued to dig. Eight hours turned into 12 hours, turned into 24 hours, turned into 36 hours. Then in the 38th hour, he, as he heaved away a heavy piece of rubble, he heard voices. Armand, he screamed out. A child's voice responded, Dad, it's me, Armand. Then he said, I told the other kids not to worry. I told them if you were alive, you would save me. And when you saved me, they would also be saved. You promised you would always be there for me, and you did it, Dad. You fulfilled your promise. Moments later, the dad was helping his son Armin and 13 frightened, hungry, and thirsty boys and girls climb out of the debris, free at last. When the building collapsed, these children had been spared in a tent-like pocket where they were able to survive. When the townspeople praised Armin's dad, his explanation was simply, I promised my son, no matter what, I will always be there for you. What a great story and a wonderful picture of love and commitment. Armin had no question if his dad was still alive, because of his dad's love, he was committed to coming to find him. 
What a, a great uh, parallel we draw because as believers in Jesus, we also have a father who's deeply in love with us and who is absolutely committed to us. He proved that when he sent his son to the cross. That's why today we want to discuss God's love for us and why we should commit ourselves to him. The title of our sermon this morning, Committed Out of Love. Not just committed to a religion, not just committed to an ideas of wrong and right and, and good and bad. We're committed to God out of love. You see, we are deeply committed to the very things that we love. It's like love is this bond uh, that, that, that bonds the commitment to an item. Think about it. You give your time, your money, and your resources to the things you love. You're also committed, in many ways, to the, the people that love you, to the people that spend their time and resources and money to love you. You feel a certain commitment level to them. Let's get into our text this morning. We'll be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. John's kind of writing to these Christians why we should be totally sold out in our commitment to God. Starting in verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not from the father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. If we take all these six verses and we condense them down to one main idea, we get this. Our hearts are committed to God because of his eternal love and faithful protection. Our hearts are committed to God because of his eternal love and faithful protection. Let's break down these verses to see why that's true. Going back to verse 12. See, John's starting out to write these things, and the reason why it might you know, seem a little redundant, because he, he's kind of going over and saying the same thing a few times, he's trying to drive a point. He's trying to remind the, the people all the good things that God has done for them. I'm writing to you little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So as you can see, there's, there's three levels of of generally uh, three levels of people he's trying to, to uh, speak to here. You have children and young adults and, and fathers. That would be the, the older crowd. 
And he starts out by saying, children, remember. This is a reminder. Remember your sins were forgiven because you believe on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. He's he's reminding them. Think of the goodness that God has for you because you simply believed on him for salvation. What an awesome thing that is. And it's so simple, even a child can understand it. And a child can remember that. He says to the young adults, in uh, verse 13, he says, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And he says again in 14, because young men, you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. He's talking to that next generation that have been Christians for a while and they actually have the word of God inside them and they've seen, they've seen it with their own eyes. They've seen God's word affect their lives. They've seen times in their lives where they were in a really terrible situation or they were trapped by sin or something was terrible in their lives and they saw God work and deliver them from that sin, overcoming evil. John's saying, remember that? That was awesome, right? He says to the fathers, he says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Basically what he's saying here is that, listen, y'all been around the block a few times. You've known God from the beginning of your salvation. You should have all sorts of things that you should be able to share with people, reminding them how awesome God is. That brings us to our our first point. We remind each other of our Father's great love so that we may stay committed to the one who loves us. We remind each other. It's important. Listen, we're silly humans. We forget. Oh, yeah, God did that awesome thing for me. We remind each other of the Father's great love so that we may stay committed to the, the very one who loves us. So now John kind of switches gears and he goes from the remember all these awesome things that God has done for us to the so now what's our response? What do we do about this? And it's kind of this, do we, do we love the world? Do we love God? What, what do we do? What do we do with this? Can we do both? Well, verses, we find this in verses 15 and 16. In fact, John doesn't mess around. He says right away, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's hard, guys, right? Those those are some hard verses to to kind of swallow down in there in uh, verse 15. I'll let you in on a little secret. I love the world. I, I love my wife. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love all the great things that I get to share with them. I love hiking, whether it's in the swamp, whether it's in the mountains, I love being outside and experiencing creation. I love being on a boat 70 miles out in the middle middle of the Gulf catching huge grouper. I love all those things. I love food. After this, after I preach, as my reward, I get to go eat some carbs. I love carbs. Here, here's what, the way we need to look at this verse. Love in this verse equals commitment. 
It, it, it's what do we commit ourselves to? What do we worship? So let's, let's read it that way. Do not, do not commit to the world or the things in this world. If anyone's committed to the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It, it's, it's, a, it's a level of worship thing. Do not worship those things because if you're worshiping those things, you're not worshiping God and the love of the Father is not in you. Listen, God is very jealous, okay? Let me send, spend a second on this. God is very jealous of our hearts and what we give our hearts to. I once read an article, and uh, if you're a fan, I'm sorry, but whatever. Oprah Winfrey was uh, discussing this one time, and she said that she really used to be a Christian, go to a Christian church, now she's more spiritual. But she said what, what flipped her was one time she heard a sermon and the pastor from the pulpit said, God's a jealous God. He has a jealous love for you. And she thought, what a petty thing. Really? This God who's all powerful and he could do whatever he wants. He's jealous. Isn't that a petty thing? And she thought, you know what? My God's not petty. That's ridiculous. I'm not going back there. Well, first of all, every single thing God does is holy. Everything, his anger and his wrath, while we have anger and wrath and it might be petty and wrong, his anger and wrath is perfect and holy. So first of all, whatever he does, it's done with absolute perfection and it is the highest level of right, no matter what he does. But what she doesn't understand is God's jealousy for our commitment and our heart is for our own good. It's not so he could look down and say, I own them. I'm jealous. They can't be looking or turning their heads to the left or the right. They're mine. It's not that kind of jealousy. It's the jealousy of a loving father. Please don't give yourself to that. I have something so much better for you. Don't waste your time with that junk. Come to, back to me. I have what's good. And he, expl uh, he explains this in verse 16. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. See, it's this contrast. It's this contrast of what God wants us to worship or give our hearts to. And he said, these are the pitfalls, guys. These are where we fail. I fail at these all the time. And he's looking at this and he's saying, he's saying for the, the desires of the flesh, it's comfort, it's pleasure. Like I just said, I'm getting ready to go eat a bunch of carbs. That's very pleasurable for me. You know what? But doing that all the time is not good for me. Um, I'm going to go, you know, maybe even be a little gluttonous. I'll have to pray afterwards. But uh, that's not good. It's not a good thing for me to do that in a constant thing. And God's saying, don't worship that. Don't worship the pleasures of this world. Why? Because this world is going to be uncomfortable a lot. Amen? And God wants us to have joy and comfort in all situations. You know that's possible? You know that Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote most of his letters from prison? When he, when he says, you know, he has all these, you know, wonderful, wonderful things to say, he's in a prison. Enjoying his conversations with the prison guards trying to get them saved, writing letters to churches, trying to make sure everybody has what they need. He's in prison and he's completely content. That's what God wants for us. Not so much the prison thing, but the contentment. 
The desires of the eyes. That's wealth, material, possessions. The world tells you, covet what your neighbor has. The world tells you, don't just settle for this car. You need the next best thing. You need this, this car. Or if you don't have those shoes, you need these shoes. Or if you don't have this house, you need this bigger house. The world wants you focused on that because you don't have time for anything else. And here's the sad part is you will never be satisfied. If you have that covet monster inside you, there, there is nothing on this planet that will satisfy you. I think of, uh, uh, this week we were talking about this yacht that one of these guys, he came in a paint store and he said that he saw in the Caribbean when he was there. It was a, a yacht. It was 140 feet long. It cost hundreds of millions of dollars. There's more money tied up into this boat than there are in, in a lot of third world countries. He was talking about how you can rent this boat out for the day, for the day, for like 1.5 million, in case you wanted to take a day trip. Do you think that guy started out with that boat? No, he probably had a boat, and then he got a bigger boat, and then he got a bigger boat, and then he's thinking, hey, I want the biggest boat. And listen, if that guy takes his money and that's what he spends it on, that's between him and God. I'm not, I'm not demeaning what his, his life is about. He could be a great guy. But it's a good illustration how we'll never be satisfied by the things that we get. Things are temporary. And we, God wants us to always be satisfied with the needs he fulfills. He wants us to be satisfied. He wants to be the one taking care of us. He wants us to be satisfied with the things that we have. Finally, John writes, pride. The pride of life, which is resisting authority. It's, it's self-centeredness. In fact, the, the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What's sad is that, and we all fall for this, pride makes us do some really dumb things. Amen? It makes us say horrible things to people. It makes us act in ways that we know are completely ugly. And you know when we're stuck in the middle of that pride and, and we're feeling that and it's full blown, we're completely useless to God. He can't even use us. See, what pride does is it takes God off of the throne of your heart and it replaces him with you. You are your own God. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are a puny God. Come, I didn't hear anybody. What's that? You are a puny God. You know what? I make a real puny God. I can't even tell you what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. Half the time, I don't even know what I'm going to say next. We have no control over when we pass away, for the most part. We, I could have a brain aneurysm. In one second, I could be gone. We can't control what other people do. We can't control other people's actions. If you think about it, the fact that we think we can take over and run this whole deal better than God is ridiculous. We are feeble, weak-minded creatures. 
and somehow we think we could do a way better job than God can. God doesn't want that. He wants us to rely on him. It comes, uh, brings us to our second point. God is jealous for our hearts. Sorry, Oprah. God is jealous for our hearts because he wants to protect us from the sinful world around us. See, again, it's not a, it's, it, it's not a control thing, but it's a, it's a loving father thing. He wants our hearts and he wants our minds because he wants to protect us from the things we're probably going to do to ourselves and the things that the world's going to do around us. That reminds us of our main point. Our hearts are committed to God because of his eternal love and faithful protection. Our hearts are committed to God because of his eternal love and faithful protection. And here's where John closes the deal. And this is why he's like, this is why this is all wrong. Let me, let me point this last thing out to you. Verse 17. And the world is passing away with, along with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. He makes two major points in that. Listen, this world that we're so entangled in, this world that we're so in love with, this world that we're committed to, and the things we worship in this world, it's passing away. It's, it has an expiration date, just like us. And he's, he's making that point. Why are we doing all that? Why are we spending so much time? There was once a, a, rate, a great illustration, and the pastor brought in the, one of the longest extension cords that he could find, and he ran it all through the sanctuary and weaved it in the rows and, and brought it up on the wall. And he probably attached a couple of them because he was trying to prove a point. He said, look how long that cord is. And on the cord that you could barely see, the camera had to zoom in, there was a, a teeny tiny line on the cord. And the teeny tiny line on the cord, he said, represents our life here on earth. The rest of this is eternity. Look how insignificant this line is on this cord. And that's not even the beginning of the measurement of eternity. He said, you know, something like, in fact, if I didn't even point that out to you, no one would have ever seen it. That's how insignificant it is. When the moment we step into eternity, I think we're going to be amazed at how much stock we put into this life. I think we're going to be really amazed. Wow, those things that I thought were so important are completely meaningless. The second part of what he says is that, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, I want to point this out really quick, just because it's always important to point out, it's, he's not calling for a works-based salvation. Uh, salvation. He's not saying, but whoever does all these works for God can abide with him forever. The idea is the same idea that we've been talking about all through this. It's because God saved us and he revealed himself to us and allowed us the knowledge to understand that if we put our trust and faith in him, he will save us and we can live with him forever. And because of that, as Christians, as John's writing to these group of Christians, remember for the uh, testing our assurance, he's saying, if you are a believer and you're walking right with God, and you're close to him, naturally you'll be doing these things. You will be doing his will. 
It's not the other way around. You don't do his will to earn his love. You appreciate the free gift of salvation and his love, so you're so willing to do whatever it is he's calling you to do. So it kind of goes like this. No, saved, committed. That's why John is pleading with us not to love the world, which really is out to hurt us and will one day be passing away. But put our love and our faith into the one who wants to save us and spend eternity with us. Uh, one of my favorite writers, C.S. Lewis, put it this way. And, and he's said a million uh, super intelligent things that you know, I can read again and again and again and I'll finally get it sooner or later. But he put it this way. He says, if you aim at this world, you'll miss heaven. But if you aim at heaven, you get both. Think about that. If we're focused on eternity, there's nothing, as Mike said, there's no weapon formed against us that will prosper. There's nothing on this earth that can hurt us. They might injure us. They might make us feel uncomfortable. But if we're truly satisfied in the work of what our Father's done for us and our focus is on eternity, we are untouchable. But if we're so focused on this world, we'll miss all the things God has for us. So it brings us to our third and final point. God is jealous of our hearts because the world is passing away and he wants us to dwell with him forever. That is why God is jealous for our hearts, because this world is temporary. We're not. And he wants us to dwell with him forever. As Mike comes up, I just want to remind us of the, of the, the things that God taught us this morning. The first one, we remind each other of our Father's great love so that we may stay committed to the one who loves us. That is so important, guys. I need that. I need that encouragement from you guys as I hope you need that encouragement for, from others. Hey, guys, remember what God did for us? Remember how awesome God is? I always love when I'm feeling down and, and, and then there's things that I just feel like I'm getting beat up from the world. And I can remember, oh yeah, that one thing that, that God brought me through, wow, that was amazing. And it encourages me to just, you know, even if it's just to wait to get through to the next good thing, that's enough for me. So think of something amazing God's done for you, even if it's just salvation. And I don't say even if it's just salvation, like that's a small thing. That should be enough to get us all fired up. Next, God is jealous for our hearts because he wants to protect us from the sinful world around us. He's talking to this middle group, John is. Do you remember that time that you were trapped by a sin or you were trapped in a, in a situation that wasn't your fault, but you remembered the word of God, you remembered the power of God and it got you through? Remember that. Next, God is jealous for our hearts because the world is passing away and he wants us to dwell with him forever. Our lives are so much better when our minds are focused on eternal things. Now listen, I have a full-time job out of here. I have bills. I get it. Life is tough. We have to live in this world and there's a million things we have to contend with every day. 
but how great is it when we can remind ourselves this is just temporal. God has a home for me in heaven for eternity, free from all this nonsense. That's what we need to focus on. And finally, our, our main point, our hearts are committed to God because of his eternal love and his faithful protection. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for all you do for us. We are much like little Armin. We are hopelessly trapped in this sinful world and we need you to rescue us. Help us, Lord, to stay committed to you, not just because you want to keep us safe from sin in our lives, but because you love us deeply and you already proved that on the cross. Help us to know and to love you more every day. And also, of course, Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their loving father, I pray that you speak to their hearts today so they may be able to start this relationship with you. I love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com. Dot com.